Hey Harambe. I hope heaven has bananas. The world has gone bananas now that you're not in it. So let's just spare a minute for the butterfly effect or gorilla consequence. The passion of the ape or when reality shifted off its axis. Zookeeping malpractice, some might say. That fateful day when the boy fell where he didn't belong. Fallen brother, how can we right your wrong? I know it's going to be an emotional day. Hey everyone, welcome back to Soul Scene, the podcast imagining a beautiful, sustainable, tactile future, inspired by a world that's slightly less beautiful now that it's missing the fallen brother, Harambe. This is the continuation of our semester, creating a Mount Rushmore of people, and in this case, animals who inspire the Soul Scene. Heroes. The most species-inclusive term. Yes, and in true meme fashion, we have chosen Harambe. Not to further perpetuate the meme, Hmm. rather to gain some lessons from it. To reclaim it, some might say. Mm. We're wearing all black. We have the candle burning bright, as it has been for eight years, which is just about the regular delay with which we tend to cover pop culture happenings mm-hmm. roughly eight years too late the most trending topic of 2024 what do we think about harambe but we're going to be discussing chiefly a theory pertaining to his death and if you're not familiar with the events we'll go into some detail without getting too grisly uh, in a few moments but chiefly a theory that we think is kind of relevant to the goal of this podcast which is kind of contextualizing a an imagined utopian future and <laughs> Harambe will be like the martyr to said future, I think. Mm-hmm. Every great civilization needs one. So the actual happenings of May 28th, 2016 will mm. now be disclosed. Yeah. If you can't bear the details, just skip ahead. The details, however, are not going to be very in-depth because, to be honest, there aren't that many <laughs> details. Because I didn't even go so far as to find out the boy's name, but you found out it's Isaiah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's Isaiah. <laughs> so on May 28th, 2016 at the Cincinnati Zoo, there it was just another normal day. I feel like we need like the crime, not the crime and punishment, the law and order music or something like that. Yeah. It's becoming a um, a murder mystery podcast, which we've always wanted to do because that's the most popular type of podcast so the a three-year-old boy expresses to his mom i want to go in there (laughs) (laughs) just like basically a kid fell into the enclosure and it shouldn't have been so easy for that to happen or even possible well he did climb through i think it said (laughs) 10 feet of bushes to then get to the railing which he climbed underneath yeah and then fell 15 feet which is quite far into a moat and then when he fell, the zookeeper like signaled to the gorillas to go back into their little houses mm-hmm. because it was gorilla world. So there were three. The two female ones went back, but then Harambe, the one male silverback gorilla, did not go back. He approached the boy, picked him up. And then this is where the YouTube video starts that someone took right. the event. And that's kind of also what we're going to be discussing today, the how the internet changed after this event. Well, I think it's a really good 
I don't know that this event changed it, but I think it came at such a time that it's kind of a such mm-hmm. a capsule. Yeah, and it's such a good so. kind of case study. Yeah. So he fell in. The gorilla like picked him up, was carrying him around, apparently violently. Did you watch the video? I didn't. So basically, obviously I'm not a primatologist, but there were some cases being made in that most reputable forum of such discourse, the YouTube comment section, mm. saying that the reason Harambe was dragging the boy through the water, and he was dragging him rather fast, was because he was alarmed at all the noise and apparently rocks being thrown by the the onlookers who were horrified at it. Mm-hmm. So in the video, you can hear like the mum saying stuff and everyone shouting, like, oh, look at me instead, or like, go back inside, or like trying to scare him off. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what was going on in, in his mind, but... We'll never know. I think it's, it's such a kind of poignant image. I mean, it sounds funny because it was later became a meme, but it's such a poignant image of spectacle in our society. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I got. I learned this phrase while preparing for the episode called performative negativity. Okay. And I feel like it has kind of translated to real life in that people are kind of performative in like their reactions to an extent. Hmm. And it's not that this shouldn't have elicited a big reaction. Like it's scary for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. But perhaps based on what you're saying, how the crowd was reacting, trying to like, oh my goodness, look at this. Like, yeah. hey, like, look at me. Like, it's very cartoonish in a way, their reactions. I think that's that might just be how people get in panic. Yeah, people are probably bad under pressure. Yeah, whatever the whatever the year. But m- mm-hmm. maybe there is something to the fact that it was being recorded. But I, I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I don't know if I'd say that. But I think it's just an unfortunate situation all around. And then the zoo decided to end it lethally because their reasoning being that a tranquilizer on a gorilla the size of Rambe would have taken like minutes to act. And Mm -hmm. in those minutes, he might have become more agitated and who can say. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, the podcast isn't really about evaluating the zoo's decision. I said in the the poem, Zookeeping Malpractice, as kind of a joke. I think if anything, yeah, it was was the possibility for for a child to climb in there that's the the error. And then whatever Mm -hmm. happens afterwards is kind of like a Shakespearean tragedy, but inevitable. Yeah, and it's also, we're going to talk a bit today about zoos in general. Mm-hmm. And I feel like zookeeping malpractice is just the keeping of zoos <laughs> <laughs> to an extent. So a couple notes about Harambe himself. It happened one day after his 17th birthday. Yeah. So some present that was. His legacy may live on because though he wasn't yet of mature breeding age, his sperm was saved. Fortunately, so yeah. we may get a junior at some point and fingers crossed. I spent a little bit too much time looking at his genealogy chart, which for some reason the zoo published. Looking at all his siblings, I think he had 12 half, half siblings. The name Harambe, it comes from a song by Rita Mali, mm-hmm. uh, like a reggae song. And the word itself means pulling together, helping each other in Swahili. Mm-hmm. So I just think... It's really ironic that that was his name and then we saw Yeah, but I think he stands. Stands for this. He stands as a symbol. Yeah, the song was called Working Together for Freedom, Harambe. Yeah. So I think, yeah, definitely stands as a symbol. But we, instead of seeing him as a symbol for like animal rights or something, we just saw him as a meme more than anything. We're probably feeding into that a little bit. Oh, uh, 100%. Neglectfully. It's, it's hard sometimes to separate the meme from the well it's something 
Yeah, it's something interesting about this one because it does stand apart from other memes in that the, it, like, it was a genuinely sad thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a, it was a violent thing. And I, I do, and I don't think everybody just made fun of it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think, mm-hmm. I think meme, obviously it means comedy, but in the original sense, it just means kind of like a, a viral transport of idea or image mm-hmm. or word or something like that. And I think it falls closer into that definition because even though it was comedy, it wasn't just that. Like there was a, there was a kind of, there was an ambiguity to the, to the tone of it, the way people talk about it. Even on this episode, it's like, we're kind of jokingly putting on a a vigil, but also kind of is one, at least a little bit. And then let's talk about the 2016-ness of it all, because in, in researching for this episode or, or re-familiarizing myself with the, with the event, should I say, I was reminded of that year and how, do you remember there was a big thing about like, oh, worst year ever, 2016, <laughs> please go away. Like, we hate this. 2017 yeah. is going to be so much as if, and the main reason when I was looking at it was because there were a lot of celebrity deaths mm-hmm. and that seems almost not to minimize them, but almost quaint today. It's true. <laughs> Given what's happened since the, the timeline shifted. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, we were watching like a Hank Green video and he said in 2016, him and his brother, John, made a t-shirt that said like dumpster fire year 2016. Yes, exactly. And then ever since they've made a more extreme shirt because ever since 2016, the years have been increasingly dumpster fire-ish. Mm. And... Or at least that's been the, the perception of it. Or the experience mm-hmm. of it. Some other notes about 2016 that I was kind of uh, recapping. Okay. The year of Pokemon Go. True. Or the summer of Pokemon Go, should I say. Mm-hmm. What a peak. Hamilton. Other big memes of the year were the Arthur Fist. Mm. Evil Kermit. Do you know that one where he's like talking to the Darth Vader version of himself? Yeah. Or the Star wars version of himself? Damn Daniel, which I had thought was like... Much older than Much older than, than that. Yeah. It was also the year that Stranger Things debuted, the year that Leonardo DiCaprio won his Oscar for The Revenant. And there were some other small things like a big US election, Brexit votes, various other political happenings around the world, North Korea mm-hmm. missile testing and all that kind of stuff. But I think 2016 is kind of like our generation's big year. It was this confluence of things, and for you and I particularly, and I also have a hunch most of the people engaging in the Harambe meme, or Mm -hmm. that kind of quote-unquote discourse online, we were in somewhat peak years to be receptive to world news and pop culture, Mm -hmm. because we were like 17, 16. It was the first ever kind of election that we had followed, or news cycle that I had ever really engaged in. And I really think that was the case for a lot of people. This was their introduction, and so it makes sense that they would consider everything before that, the age of innocence and everything afterwards, some downhill slide, or as the meme goes, timeline shift. We should describe mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Or explain that. So basically, it's a very small <laughs> meme. I found the origin of it, which is Adult Swim, which is like that cartoon network situation. Yeah. They tweeted a picture and it said, this could have been avoided. And it was the timeline up until 2016 when Harambe died, and then it split and it went the route where there's COVID, where there's the war in Ukraine, where yeah. there's all of these like terrible things that have happened mm-hmm. over the last few years. And then the other split was like, deforestation is reversed, mm-hmm. first lunar colony. 
Yeah. Not world peace, but it was all just like these kind of other things. If, the world, if everything happened. went really well. Yeah. So it's a the butterfly effect moment, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd mentioned doing an episode based on that, thinking it was a much wider phenomenon, but I realized mm-hmm. it was just about, I'd just seen one picture about it and was like, oh, look at this. Everybody thinks this. But that's what the yeah. internet does, I guess, is amplify things exactly. at your own kind of discretion or perception. However, ever since you introduced that concept to me, I've found it kind of useful to articulate things. It also goes back to, you know, the show Community? Yes, yes. Maybe people listening have also watched that. There was an episode where the whole episode was just the six friends. They roll a dice and each number corresponds to a friend. And whoever's number is rolled, they have to go pick up a pizza. Mm -hmm. And so the episode goes through the six different timeline options of what happens. And one of them is called the darkest timeline when like everyone dies, the world ends basically. And... That meme was kind of before this Harambe one, but I also like the idea of like the darkest timeline as a way to sometimes articulate. It's almost unfathomable how bad things can like keep becoming. And as we often talk about on this podcast, every generation probably thinks that they're uh-huh. like in the end times. It's always been a thing ever since Jesus died on the cross. It was like, it's the end times. But everyone always thinks like, okay, these are the events being described in christian texts or otherwise because a lot of different religions have kind of a doctrine of apocalypse apocalypse yeah so i think the darkest timeline is kind of our generation's apocalypse yeah though that community you mean that's the phrasing of it because we're because it's Mm -hmm. a kind of a secular phrasing of it darkest timeline timelines itself it's this kind of like yeah though that community episode aired before the harambe event so you said it's it's the same postmodern kind of self-aware or, or meta storytelling that I think the internet has really escalated. And even last week I was watching the, the new Spider-Verse movie. Well, I guess not eight years late, one year late because that came out last year. But I was watching it and the whole crux of the story is about this Spider-Man being told that actually he has to let certain personal tragedies happen so that he can become Spider-Man because that's written in the canon. It's a canon event, so mm-hmm. they say. So it's kind of a meme I saw about Harambe's death was a canon event. So basically, it's this removed perspective where you look at things as if you're an alien or something, or like a historian a thousand years after the fact. I think that point of view pretty much sums up the way a lot of memes are. You know what I mean? They're not kind of taking a personal involvement in it. There's like a, It's kind of like a detached almost sociological microscope that we look at things like that, even if they make us laugh. I think with the rise of the internet and our exposure to so many things, the incongruity theory of why humans laugh really comes to the surface. Okay. And that theory is that the reason we laugh is to signal something has changed. So perhaps pre-language, okay, I'm set guard, Everyone's like, oh, no, there's someone coming. Like, someone's coming to invade our land. But then I start to laugh because it's actually just Philip who lives in the city. But he was wearing, like, a funny coat. Yeah. And my laughter signals stand down. Never mind. Like, there's an incongruity. And I think because of how, as children, our expectations of the world is pretty, like, Disneyified. Like, we're prepared for tragedy to an extent. But then when you see just, like, mass death on the internet or 
something as violent as like seeing a, a live video of some animal being killed, mm-hmm. your reaction is to joke as a way to cope with it, but also as just like a natural reaction. And it's not saying that we're all cruel and that we're all desensitized, but it's just like we don't exactly have any programmed way of dealing with these events. Yeah, something you mentioned to me a few days ago was about Bambi. Mm-hmm. People, kids cry less now when they watch Bambi than when it first aired. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, I tried to find that study because I read that a long time ago. So in other words, you made it's another thing it. that you made up. No, but I definitely read a study on it, but I just think it was it was so long ago that I couldn't find it. Was it a study or was it a Facebook post? No, it was a study. Okay. I believe it in any case. So yeah. it may as well be true. Yeah. Well, I was I found it while researching for some kind of like university paper. So it's probably was on like Google Scholar or something instead of just normal Google. But another thing about the internet exposing us to all of these things, when you were saying like about when we're gonna look back on this in a hundred years. Yeah, yeah. Is, but we do that in real time to a degree is what I'm saying. Yeah, that that as well. But I think we don't we look at it and we see, okay, this is significant, but we don't exactly know why. And I saw with this timeline theory saying, well, it had this like really low level psychological impact on us all. It was one of the first like kind of universal memes. There was Gangnam Style and there was Harambe, basically. And it was one of the first kind of low level universal traumas that we've kind of experienced yeah and obviously there was some like high level ones historically like everyone experienced the war to an extent Mm -hmm. like all the wars historically but this one was just so i think it's the timing of it i really think it's the timing of it and because it was also it was like the trump year and there was Mm -hmm. all this just all this talk about post-truth and Mm -hmm. you know in the same vein now we have like deep fakes and just general technological craziness Mm -hmm. and i was just thinking like if you were if you're making some kind of short film or, or montage or edit about the 2000, like the year 2000 onwards, mm-hmm. you would include some snippets of the Harambe video and it wouldn't be about, it would be sad, but it wouldn't be sad because of the gorilla. Uh, I mean, that's sad, but it wouldn't just be sad because of that. It would also be sad for what it represents, which is mm-hmm. how we live online now. And actually another movie that I want to mention is May December, which is on Netflix, which mm-hmm. we also watched a couple of weeks ago, which is essentially about very different things, but it's a pretty good analog. The central story is about this romance. I won't spoil it for people who want to watch it, but this romance that became sensationalized and tabloidy and hit the news at some point in the past. And the aesthetic of that is about like kind of shiny tabloids and kind of like trash magazines in the Mm -hmm. sense that we don't really engage with too much these days but i thought it was so similar to how memes now will propagate these things you think about like something like the johnny depp amber heard trial you know what i mean it's like it it looks very different but it's the same kind of spectacle it's just we engage in it on different forums i suppose and maybe it's a bit more all-consuming and there's a great story from that Oh, there's a great line from that movie where one of the characters involved in said tabloid says, this isn't a story, this is my life. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was, obviously it was a, it's a personal moment to that character, but it's also this universally applicable, almost adage whereby we shouldn't narrativize things to the, at the expense of genuine empathy. And I was thinking, because this is a podcast and you mentioned true crime podcasts earlier, they do that quite quite a lot as well. Because there's this morbid curiosity, 
But then if you engage in it over and over and over again, then, you know, you just stop crying when Bambi dies. Mm -hmm. And maybe eventually you just start laughing at it. Yeah, I think that's a really great first lesson for the soul scene is seeing the humans, like, don't even call them stories to an extent. Perhaps saying this event, this new, like, not even news, what's the word? Like, looking at them more historically, perhaps, and thinking, yeah, these are just, like, humans. Or apes. Or apes. And even in the case of Harambe, everyone was, like, quick to jump on, like, hating the mom and hating the boy. But it's, like, you can barely even imagine how scary that would be as a mom to see your kid fall 15 feet Mm -hmm. then have a huge gorilla, like, carrying him around. Even if it was one way or the other, like, you'd be terrified. You have to have empathy for her and not just, like, be mean to her. Exactly. And Also, he was three, so... Yeah, it was a very little boy. (laughs) Um, And this is where that word I mentioned earlier, performative negativity, I think, comes into play. And perhaps this partially drove a lot of, like, sticking to the 2016 theme with the 2016 election in America. Mm -hmm. People online were very performative about their hatred towards one side or the other. Yeah. Like very performative of their hatred of Hillary and of Trump. And like those two are quite like divisive. Divisive and like characters. They're they're in person they're intentionally making themselves characters. So they're kind of hard to use as an example, but they are still humans. And as we were talking about last week, organizations are still made up of humans. Yeah. And we need to see that see the trees for the forest or mm-hmm. what have you and not be so over the top about things with the Harambe memefication of this event. I saw a lot of things saying it was one of the first memes that both sides like politically got on board of as well, because the left wing was making fun of how the media was like covering the story when there were so many more important things going on in the world, yeah. climate change, the election, so on. And then the right wing was making fun of the liberals for like, Oh, they care about this ape dying. Like there's like so funny, da da da. And like both sides were able to see it as something funny or something to like make fun of and really distract from the causes. And I feel like ever since then, a lot of things, especially amplified by the election have always been so like, both sides just getting inflamed. Well, yeah, I think that's the the purest use of the word culture war, where every innocuous thing becomes ammunition for it, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever side you're on. Some other notes about the internet-ness of it and maybe lessons we can take about disengaging from that kind of life. One is that I think being on the internet because of algorithms and increasingly niche communities Mm -hmm. or hashtags it can be so insular that it it gradually warps your interests and your sense of humor to the point that you maybe thereafter struggle to relate to people around you because because you're so used to a certain type of joke which also might have strayed so far that it's actually off-putting to some people and it's really interesting because the way people talk about humor and comedy in generations now is just this in this matter of fact way like well yeah young people find this funny in five years they'll find something else funny in 10 years they'll find something else funny and gradually no one will be able to relate to their kids or whatever Mm -hmm. and i do think that's the case but it's not just a fact of humanity it's a fact of living in accelerating periods 
of media and technology. I I really don't think that for the millennia pre mass media, there was like comedy regularly shifted that much. Mm. Yeah. And because of the overexposure to stuff, the comedy has to keep getting more and more extreme. Typically, or more random, or more kind of yeah. crazy. Because I feel like, let's say 2010 to 2016, the comedy of the internet was, whoa, a mustache on a goat or whatever. <laughs> and it was just like more random comedy. But then this shifted to this dark humor, which can be reflected in if you watch comedy specials or even just how memes are. As you said that year, there was like the Arthur getting angry meme, the evil Kermit. It all started to become kind of... I like, think you might be reaching there a little bit. Too much. You were saying too much negative energy. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's like inspired by Harambe. I'm just saying because we're so exposed to like so many things that we never like aren't, we aren't intended to be exposed to. Yeah. As humans, we then just have to like go even more extreme to try and like get that feeling of joy. Maybe let's put it like this. I think in a utopia, the grandparents and the grandchild laugh at the same things like i don't Mm -hmm. think there's a massive divide there also yeah the way that pop culture and mass media moves online is too fast for an individual to kind of engage in it healthily without turning to apathy or just numbness to it but i think something else we should mention as a disclaimer is that memes especially harambe you can't tell because it's the internet and it could be could be anybody on the on the other side posting on the anonymous Twitter handle that has an ape as the profile picture. But I, I get a hunch that it's mostly kids or at least people 17 mm-hmm. or younger. So when we try and make sweeping statements about adults, I mean, it's just impossible. And this is another reason why I don't like the internet because you can't see people. And I think that's very helpful. Like if you saw a group of tween boys laughing at something, you'd be like, oh, they're laughing at that thing. But then if it's anonymous, it could be politicians. Mm-hmm. Like, it could be like 50-year-olds. Could be me. Could be you. Could be. Could be we. Yeah, the breakdown of the economy to a point where it's just like everything is so commercialized has to do with that realization of vendors that people under 20 have buying power and have a kind of disproportionate impact on yeah, society they, because they dominate pop culture kind of yeah because before we kind of realized this it was like well they're kids like why would we appeal to them but then we kind of realized the kids have a lot of power especially in the internet because if a bunch of kids want it they'll force their parents to buy it and then the kids will post about it and spread it to other kids and also to adults and also yeah the parents will themselves join TikTok and start lip syncing to mm-hmm. Villain of the Week. Villain of the Week is P.T. Barnum, who was a businessman, author, politician, and most famously, a carny. <laughs> Within his life, he actually specifically said, I'll only be canonized for my exploits as a carnival man, whereas he really felt he was much more deeper than that. But based on reading his biography... He wasn't. Even in his business and political exploits, it was always a carnival circus to him. Would he and Harambe have been friends? This is the thing. He would have told the story that he and Harambe were friends, 
but he actually would have been the one whipping and probably killing Harambe. Oh. Because basically he whipping. he was quite a cruel man to the people in his traveling freak shows, as he so lovingly called them. The biggest discovery of his lifetime, this is him self-proclaiming it, was not how easy it is to deceive people, but how much people enjoy being deceived. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that really has to do with what we're talking about today. So he was famous for these these traveling shows, but also for these like curiosity museums mm-hmm. where he infamously had like a mermaid and a unicorn, like things like that that he just had assembled and put on display for people to say, wow, look, it's the the skeleton of a mermaid. They must be real. And with his traveling shows, he basically just had a bunch of people of different ethnicities and gave them like funky names and was like, wow, look at these people. And he essentially realized that racism wasn't dead despite within his lifetime, slavery being abolished. Yeah. So people were thinking, oh, we're like improving our relationships to other humans. But he was like, people still enjoy making fun of other yeah, people. Yeah, and here's like, a way to profit off of it. Here's that. a way to profit off of it. And I thought it was really interesting how, especially with the movie The Greatest Showman, which is about his life, if you watch that, you think he's a really great guy. He was like just getting together a band of misfits and giving mm. them purpose. Is very kind attractive, of the movie. Too. Yeah, very attractive. <laughs> I mean, and partners with Zac Efron, like, come on. <laughs> so he... If you watch that, that's kind of similar to how we seem to reflect back on things, I think. But in reality, we have to kind of not let people rewrite their own stories so quickly. Do you think that freak show culture still exists today in some form? Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking of on with the, internet? the internet. How? Of What about that guy who had no neck? He was getting kind of roasted. I feel like on TikTok, there's always people like that who are getting roasted. He either had no neck or a lot of neck. I don't know. Oh, well, maybe people watching will... will yeah, we'll know what I'm but talking I think about. it very much does. And people almost have to do it to themselves. Similarly to with this traveling circus, people had to kind of like his most famous act was this woman who looked really old and she said she was like 300 years old or something. Yeah. So she had to kind of do it to herself. Be like, yeah, I'm yeah. 300 years old. I think there is a crumbly old woman on the Internet as well. Who's like a, a character. Perhaps. But people like meme themselves and I feel like that's not good for them. But they make money off of it. But I I think it's just this circular us exploiting them, them exploiting us thing that we just let happen to us. Could we somehow profit off of that for so soon? How how could we position ourselves? The round girl. Yeah. Her face is perfectly round. Mm -hmm. Like it's a geometric marvel. This is how we can plug the YouTube. So if you want to see the round marvel, you have to subscribe on YouTube. The round marvel. <laughs> he was just a, I feel like he really encapsulated the showmanship of the internet really mm. well. He also was very like Trumpian in his... So you're saying he would have done well today? He would have done really well today. Constantly pivoting like his political platform. He changed parties a bunch of times, similar to Trump. Why, would, why did people care about P.T. Barnum's politics? Well, he was in office. Oh, okay. He wasn't the president, but he was in office. He for was a few slippery chameleon type snake oil. Okay. Yeah. I had some notes on some other animals that maybe P.T. Barnum would have liked, but at some point became sensational figures because mm-hmm. we were going to call this episode Harambe and Friends. So, first one is Binky. Mm-hmm. He was a polar bear in the 90s. Uh, he was a polar bear in a zoo who in the 90s reached 
notoriety for not one but multiple maulings of visitors most of which again just me looking out as an outsider were the were the fault of the visitors Mm -hmm. because i mean polar bears are i would say famously quite brutal creatures and yeah they're bears generally you want to keep your distance Mm -hmm. but anyway binky is is kind of notable because i really implore people to go on his wikipedia page and see the picture that they have chosen for he looks like a criminal yeah, it's it's slightly a favorite pastime of mine anyway to go on Wikipedia and see which public figures have the worst images on there because I think mm-hmm. Wikipedia has to take the ones that are like free use or whatever. And his <laughs> looks like it's taken from about 200 feet away through a bunch of shrubbery, but he's still kind of eyeing the camera with the most guilty expression. And he has in his mouth the shoe of a tourist that he took, I guess, and maybe wore as some kind of medal of honor. So that's Binky. There's also Jambo, who was a gorilla in the 80s. Some might say the proto-Harambe, mm-hmm. the baseline store archetype from which Harambe deviated or the timeline shifted because Jambo protected the boy who fell into his enclosure. Mm-hmm. Because also these enclosures have like high drops. Yeah. So the kid basically fell into Jambo's enclosure and was unconscious. Mm-hmm. But the gorilla was like, protecting it and stroking his back and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there's Congo, who I just wanted to mention because on the Wikipedia listing of famous apes, there is a subsection for artists. And Mm. I was like, what is... Most of them, it was just people who... uh, Monkeys who were taught sign language. Okay. But Congo was a painter. I see. Picasso had one of his paintings... What? I think yeah, I think a couple of them have been auctioned. It was gifted. It. I think a couple of them were were auctioned for like twenty five thousand dollars or something like that. Okay. What kind of style do you think the paintings were in? Quite abstract. They were. My, they um, were quite abstract. My projection. Yes. The exact genre was described as lyrical abstract impressionism. Mm. So, the, actually, this friend segment had no relevance to the rest of the episode. I just thought it'd be fun to mention. No, I think it has relevance. I like the names of these guys: Binky, Harambe, Jambo. Congo, they're funny names. I think it has relevance in our segue into designing a Solocene zoo because a lot of people think, why are we keeping these highly intelligent creatures in (laughs) tiny enclosures which children can fall into? And I think that's kind of a good segue into... Yeah, so we thought we would end the episode by designing a zoo for the utopia, a utopian zoo as it were. Mm -hmm. And both of our first independent thoughts on this were no zoo. That no would be zoo. the the most yeah. utopian thing, no zoo. But then when you look into it, again, like I'm not an expert on the topic nor of animal ethics in general, but most zoos today aren't exactly P.T. Barnum whipping the the giraffes that he bred in captivity. Like mm-hmm. most of them are pretty good and they are a little bit, function a little bit more as... Sanctuaries. As sanctuaries. So I think what we can kind of say is Good zoos are good. Bad zoos are bad. I mean, we've all been to a zoo and there's the bear or the tiger and you're like, that doesn't look look good. Or in Montreal, there's a biodome, which you think would be a great example because it has four or five different areas, each of which doing a pretty good job at mimicking the... The natural habitat. Yeah, the biome. So there'll be like the plants and the rainforest areas. Like legit feels like you stepped into a rainforest. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the penguins, and those ones, they don't look nice because their habitat is basically just like 
a really small icy kind of wall that they're trapped into. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the Montreal Biodome. But. Yeah, so my thought on this, I, I'm i glad I had the chance to think about it because my initial instinct is no zoos and my final instinct is no zoos because I think it's cool. Yeah, like a lot of the animals in zoos today is they can't survive in yeah. the wild. So it's kind of like they have to be in captivity and it's good for when there's a really small population of an animal, have them in captivity so they can kind of reproduce safely and then repopulate in terms of like when species are endangered and stuff. But I think it's the marveling at them that I just really hate. I think it may be like, yeah, the concept of it might kind of itself just reinforce that view of the exotic or that like othering of the animal kingdom. Mm -hmm. But for instance, in Nova Scotia, somewhat close to my house, there was a farm zoo Mm -hmm. where they just had pretty regular farm animals and some of them are a little bit wilder but it was like horses alpacas llamas Mm -hmm. deer birds things like this where they were mostly just roaming around and you could have a horse ride if you wanted well that's what i was gonna say i think these types of make make them more like tours kind of interactive yeah a little interactive and just like i was also thinking it'd be really cool to have ecosystem zoos so like like the biodome but just without the animals kind of I was thinking that too because I was um, reminded of when we went to Mexico and we went to that weird moth enclosure. Yeah, a butterfly sanctuary. It was pretty much a greenhouse. It yeah. had really wonderful flowers and plants. Mm-hmm. And then there were just a ton of like the craziest butterflies you've ever seen as big as your face. Mm-hmm. And you kind of roamed through trying your hardest not to touch anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I think things like that are kind of cool. Mm. But when you have like a giraffe living in Nova Scotia, it just feels... Yeah, of course. Like, I just think that should be outlawed. I don't really understand why it's still legal. Another foundational text for this episode, Madagascar. Yes. And its sequels. Mm-hmm. Do you know there was, a, at the same time as Madagascar, Disney made a film that was, like, identical. Did you really? see that? No. Yeah. I don't remember the name of it. And I don't think I ever saw, but it was on, you know when they used to sh- play trailers on DVDs? Mm-hmm. Like, before the film? They weren't even optional. They were just yeah. there. It was like that. Oh. I think it might have been straight to TV. Interesting. I'll have to look into that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should. Just no exotic animals where they don't belong. Another meme I wanted to mention is the Return to Monkey. Do you know that? No. Yeah, Return to Monkey without the Y on the end. So it's just monk. Monk. Okay. Know Your Meme calls it a series of memes closely associated with anarcho-primitivism. Okay. That romanticize a simplistic, archaic lifestyle. And the monkey is the symbol for said lifestyle. Because I was trying to think about lessons we could learn from the Harambe moment. And one thing I think, I think part of the reason it resonated so much, even ironically, is that it was a gorilla. Like, I don't think it would have been the same if it were a bear. Let me put it like that. True. Because I think it was us seeing, sounds so ridiculous, but seeing some of ourselves in Harambe or some of ourselves that has been lost. And maybe it's this kind of, this is definitely a reach, but this kind of acknowledgement that the forums and the medium on which we were propagating the Harambe meme was so distanced from the Harambe being, because it was all digital, right? It was all internet. And even this sense that we have gradually or unwittingly made ourselves into a kind of evolution of the original human, you know, Nerdneck, mm-hmm. that's the name for it neck posture yeah from craning at screens all day like that 
And then I wanted to kind of have a final note about animal rights or just empathy all around. But I thought it would be a little bit trite or pointless for us to just say, yeah, factory farming, how bad? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of not the kind of statement that you squeeze into the end of an episode or that mm-hmm. you you kind of address performatively, as you mentioned. But I do think that kind of almost simpler old school empathy for animals can be a useful or refreshing perspective in current environmentalism because you don't hear about that too often these days. Yeah, Like you don't see a lot about WWF, Mm. whereas I feel like they had their moments when everyone was really into the macrofauna and it was just like, oh, these things are cute. But I do think developing that kind of fuller empathy for even the ants that are going extinct, it's a very simple reason to care, but I think it can be just as effective Especially when we have a hard time connecting to how huge the problem of climate change, species extinction, deforestation, ocean acidification, like they're all so complex. And I think we've, as environmentalists, we've kind of been like, oh, all anyone cares about is the charismatic megafauna. But it's like, okay, we've stopped caring about them, but it's not like people (laughs) have like replaced their care of like, of elephants with the care of coral reefs. It's just kind of like they've just stepped back and don't care at all anymore. But part of the reason that people care for those is because it's so quantifiable. It's not just that they're cuter. It's that it's it's a very simple number. Is it going up? Is it going down? How many are there? Mm-hmm. Like that's a, I think that's part of the reason it's such an accessible appeal. And then finally, finally, you mentioned that we should have a solo scene recommends for this week. Yes, my final recommendation for this week is The Silent World, which is a Jacques Cousteau documentary film set on this boat of these very quirky scientists. It's real, like it's a documentary. Yeah, yeah. Going and exploring the ocean, diving, categorizing things. If you've seen Wes Anderson's Life Aquatic, this is what it's based off of. Yeah. So it's these fun conservationists, and you watch it. This documentary is made for you to care about the ocean, And then one of the final scenes is them brutally putting sticks of dynamite into a coral reef and blowing it up. Yeah, and they... Then they collect all of the animals that they killed. And they massacre a lot of sharks. Yeah. And generally, it it has this disarming kind of bygone, innocent enthusiasm for what they're doing, which makes it a really kind of interesting time capsule. Parts of it are genuinely beautiful, and parts of it are also quite um, informative. But then you just see them riding around... (laughs) Riding around on giant turtles underwater, like yeah. grabbing onto them and just being being dragged around like and kind of laughing at it. So yeah, they they didn't know what they were doing. Um, forgive them, Father, for they did not know. Yeah. But basically I thought it was a really good example of how we change and we have to accept the fact that we change in our knowledge of what's ethical. Yeah, I mean it was not. almost seventy years ago now that yeah. this came out. So they were making it and they were like People who back then, I'm sure you and I would have been like, wow, they're doing a really great job. Mm, yeah. Look at them go, haha, that's so funny. But we've changed in terms of our relations to animals. Similar to P.T. Barnum, he thought it was really funny to just like have freak shows and have these like hoaxes that he was showing people. But it's just like we've changed and it's unethical. And that's a good thing that we have changed, but not to then glorify these people retrospectively. Well said. So thanks for listening, everybody. If you are listening on the podcast apps, leave a rating and review and tell a friend. And also, rest in peace, Harambe.
and ironically, 